same teaching to every individual so that they understand and know the truths of God's Word so that there can be a unity not around a personality, not around a single church necessarily, but the body of Christ and the mind of Christ, which is what we are all called to as well. Welcome to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the necessities that need to be taught in discipleship. Hello, and welcome to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, we're going to take some time and talk about the necessities of what we need to teach in discipleship. And uh, I am joined, as always, by uh, Pastor Brian Stewart. How is your day going so far today, Pastor Stewart? Doing well. Looking forward to our time together. Good. It's a little bit chilly here. Uh, it's going into winter. When uh, While we're recording this, we're going into winter. And uh, it got down to the 30s last night, and that's very cold for East Tennessee. I know that's nothing in Indiana, but it's a little cold for East Tennessee. Well, we're, we're down in the 30s again as well, and it's it's chilly here. We're putting our sweatshirts on. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's let's go ahead and get into the topic of what we're going to be talking about uh, today. We are going through um, the idea of what are the bedrock necessities of what we need to teach people in discipleship. And on last week's episode, we spent some time talking about having an intentional plan for discipleship. And we referenced how there are building blocks um, and you, you go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, but you can't, you can't start laying that third layer of blocks until you've laid the first and second layer of blocks. And uh, so today we wanted to just take a step back and look at that same idea, except focus in on what are those things that you find at the very bottom of the stack uh, what are those bedrock ideas? And the question really that we want to try and answer today is what are the essential scriptural ideas that have to be taught for everything else to be understood? Yes. And uh, I think we find that topic introduced to us in the scripture. Uh, so if you would, Pastor Stuart, go ahead and dig in uh, and uh, take us to the scripture and uh, find where we find that idea taught. Certainly. Let's look at First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. Uh, this This passage is instruction to a minister, to the elders, the pastors, and the uh, churches that he's writing to here. And he gives clear instruction that we're to feed the flock of God, which is among us. Uh, He says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Just some real quick points here is, first of all, the, the context is feeding the flock of God. This is giving them that spiritual nutrition that they need. But he says he wants us to do this to those that are among us. Uh, I can't feed the flock that's over in uh, another city or another town. My job is to feed the flock that's among me. And so as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, I need to be feeding them. I need to make sure, but I also need to do something here. And he says that we're to take oversight. And that oversight means that we're going to oversee their feeding, their growth, make sure that it's what they need. I think of a mother that's going to feed her family. Uh, If she's going to take that responsibility uh, seriously, she's going to plan out the meals to make sure that the nutrition that each child needs, each person in the family needs, that they're going to get. And so they're going to plan out the meals to include uh, all the different types of nutrition that we would need. And so we as ministers who are preparing these spiritual meals, 
we need to make sure that each individual member is getting the nutrition that they need and we don't need to do it by constraint we don't need to be constrained to do this and they don't need to be constrained to do it but we both need to do this with a willing mind and we do it with a ready mind that is ready to teach and share with them what he has for us and so we see that there's just some ministry necessities as uh, with the years that i've been doing this really the things i've come to see are necessity is you, you have to have measurable growth uh, if we can't measure the growth uh, if we don't have some measuring stick and that measuring stick is certainly going to be the word of god but there needs to be measurable growth and how to get that is that we have intentional instruction with these observable goals uh, god identifies for us and we've mentioned this before that there is different stages of growth. He says there's a babe in Christ. He says there's toddlers in Christ. There's children. There's young adults. And then there's those that are parents, those that are able to minister mm -hmm. the Word of God. And so we have those things. And how do we get there? We do that by individual instruction. Uh, we do that with the uh, taking and making sure that each of them gets the feeding that they need. Right. And you wouldn't feed a, a baby the same way that you feed a young adult or an adult or a child. It is different for each stage. You know, my uh, my wife and I, we've tried to, and this is terrible because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sugar addict. I like to eat candy and anything that involves a lot of sugar. So it hurts, it hurts for me to do this, but um, we try to keep, especially the younger the child is, the less sugar we give them. Uh, you know, so for instance, we, we typically, my wife, uh, my wife breastfeeds. And so the kids, um, they, they, they do that solely obviously for quite a while. And then at about six months, we start letting them toy around with food. So they're not really ingesting a whole lot, but they start putting food in their mouth and playing around with it and that kind of thing. But they're still breastfeeding and they do that until they're about a year old. Um, but they slowly wean off of that and that's, that's natural and that's good. But we, we are not giving them gummy worms uh, when they're seven months old because we don't want to develop a habit of poor eating and develop a habit of or a taste for sugar, you know? Yes. And uh, the first time our kids really have a, had, a, had an experience with sugar is at their first birthday party and we let them do the whole cake smash thing. <laughs> and that's really the first experience that, that any of our kids have had with sugar. And even still, we, you know, uh, we try to keep them from having too much. But my daughter, who is going to be four in the next couple of weeks she has still has more access to sugar than my two-year-old does mm -hmm. um you know and so there are things that you as people get older that they can that they can have and that that are good for them to have honestly from time to time um but there's different things that you feed to people at different stages and so i do think it's interesting that in, in verse number two where he says feed the flock of god which is among you and then he says taking the oversight thereof oversight of what He's talking about feeding the flock. So making sure you know what people are being fed when they're being fed it. Correct. Um, you're overseeing people's growth and what they're getting and when they're getting it. And that was what we talked about last week in the in the lesson about having an intentional plan. Uh, and then he throws in, not of constraint, but willingly. That's constraint on, on the shepherd's end, and that's constraint on the flock's end. Uh, and in verse number three, I think he, he expands on that idea, neither as being lords over God's heritage. Uh, but being an example to the flock. So, you know, I, I, we do have a lot of people, especially I think in in our group or our sect of, of Christianity, 
there there tends to be a larger emphasis on that lording over people um and i don't think that's good either you know the pastor isn't god and he shouldn't act like he is uh but he is responsible for the growth of the people that are entrusted to him i like the point you make about this we're not lords over god's heritage uh we got to remember what our position is as we lead and uh are we're given here the the instruction that we're to be the example or the in sample to the flock and so we need to set the example we need to be the one and what i found is that uh it's very difficult to disciple somebody when nobody's done that for you and so that example is a huge method of teaching and we see that as we go back to when we talked about jesus setting this example Jesus discipled his disciples so that what? So they would be taught how to do it so they could then disciple others just like he did it with them. And so we see that that's important and that's one of the necessities of discipleship is that we set the example for them. And in setting the example, we have to take oversight. It doesn't mean we lord over God's people. It doesn't mean that we're you know dictators to them, but it does mean that we are intentional and that we are looking for giving them that uh, modeled behavior that they need to behave and the way they need to behave because somebody's done it for us. Now we get to do it for them. If your pastor's job is to be an under shepherd under the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives the direction? The Lord Jesus Christ gives the direction, right? Correct. And we find that in, in scripture. It's, it's, it's his job to give the direction to the under shepherd. The under shepherd's job is to take the direction that he's been given and then give that to other people. Uh, you know, we, that doesn't mean that we are lording over them and forcing them to do anything. All it means is that we're saying, okay, this is what God has given me and my understanding. And as a member of this church, I think this is the direction that, that we ought to go. And then those sheep have a responsibility. Then obviously they're supposed to listen to God first and if what the pastor is saying contradicts with what God says, well, then they, they have an obvious decision to make. Um, sure. But if the direction is the same direction uh, that, you know, the, the Bible doesn't specifically say that what the pastor said is wrong, then he as their shepherd, they are to to follow in that. And there's no there's no necessity for the pastor to lord over them at all. Because they have an understanding that there's a chief shepherd and there's an under shepherd, and the under shepherd is just there to help them as well. And so uh, the, the, the Bible says that the pastor's job is to watch for their souls, right? Yes. His job is to watch for their souls. And if his job is to watch for their souls, that word watch is referencing back to the Old Testament where it talks about watchmen. It's, it's, a, protective, it's a protective job. So the pastor's not out to get anybody. He's trying to protect them. He's trying to provide for them. And if they have that understanding as well, which is one of the things that really ought to be taught as a bedrock function, sure. um, that his job is not to get, you know, his job's not to go out there and get them. And I think as, as preachers, sometimes we have a tendency to do that. But I think especially as people in, in the audience, in the, in the congregation, sitting and listening to the preaching of the word of God, um, sometimes I think we think we take things personally as if the pastor's out to get us. And if we have a proper understanding <laughs> of the job of the pastor, his job is to watch for our souls. And if he is preaching on something that's that's hitting at something that I'm doing or not doing, uh, then you know what? I ought to take that and say, this is direction that I ought to take and change. And he's not out to get me. He's out to help me. 
That's that's a good point. That reminds me of some of the qualifications of a pastor, and I think a lot of times we tend to forget these. And if we remember that these are the qualifications of a pastor, and the pastor lives within those character qualities that God says he needs to demonstrate, then I think the the church family will not have a problem following his leadership if he demonstrates these character traits. A couple of them that come to mind are that he's going to demonstrate good behavior. He's going to be uh, not a striker. He's not going to be a brawler. He's not going to be somebody looking for either a verbal or a physical fight all the time. He's going to be one that rules his own house well, which means, and I find it interesting, he uses that word rule, and then he talks about what, how we can minister in the church or rule in the church. And, and it's not a ruling as a Lord, but it is a ruling in the sense that there's there are standards and there are things that need to be established and there are direction mm-hmm. that needs to be done and there's oversight that needs to take place. But it's not a lording over God's heritage. It is simply ministering and exampling to them. That's why he requires us to be able to do that in our own families first and then we can set that example and have that kind of direction in the church. He's not to be soon angry, but I think one of the linchpins of all of the characteristics is that he's not to be self-willed. Mm-hmm. If he's not doing his will and his desires, but he's doing the will of the head of the church, and he is seeing to it that the that Christ's will is being accomplished and God's will is being accomplished in the church, why wouldn't the people want to follow that? Uh, if they're right. if they're spiritually minded, that's going to be something they're going to want to do, not something that they're going to. Now, if they're carnally minded, that's entirely different setting here, and we're going to have mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have a lot of conflict. But what this does is, when the pastor realizes the godly characteristics that he's supposed to demonstrate that qualify him for that office of pastor, and when he lives those out with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and then the people follow that leadership and they are taught the things they need to be taught, it leads to a like-mindedness. And again, whose mind are we being like-minded to? It's not the pastor. It's not the people. It's not the deacons. It's Christ himself. And that leads to a beautiful unity in the church. And so the benefit of discipleship is that it equips the church with the same teaching to every individual so that they understand and know the truths of God's word, so that there can be a unity, not around a personality, not around a single church necessarily, but the body of Christ and the mind of Christ, which is what we are all called to as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, at some point we want to cover the idea of um, the difference between a office and a function. Um, but the people who are doing discipling are, are fulfilling the function of a pastor. It doesn't mean they are the pastor, but they're functioning as a pastor scripturally. And we'll, we'll cover that. At they're a, shepherding. Right, right. They're shepherding and they're guiding. They're, we'll cover that at a later date. That's not what I want to get at today. But I did want to bring out that we're not just talking to pastors here. We're talking to anybody who is teaching, training, discipling, um, because that is f- functioning as a pastor you're doing the function of a pastor you're not being you're not the pastor but you're functioning as a pastor um and i think jude exemplifies exactly what you just talked about and in, in jude the first verse he takes the time to introduce himself he, he writes a lot like paul in this first first few verses he takes the time to introduce himself who he is what what his standing is in christ and then who the boss is and he says and preserved in jesus christ and called so he makes sure that everybody knows christ is the boss 
and um, and he's just a servant. So he does the same thing that Paul does in almost all of his letters, introduces himself as a servant of Christ. And Paul also introduces himself as a prisoner of Christ. Um, but in, in the second verse, he does what Paul does as well. And he says, mercy unto you, peace and love be multiplied. And so he's coming in very gently. He's coming in very graciously. And like you said, we as disciplers functioning as as pastor right the the function of a pastor not the office of a pastor but we're, we're taking that function so we would do ourselves a whole lot of service and expedite the process of discipleship if we would come in this way <laughs> if we would simply come in and say hey look i'm just a servant of jesus christ he's the boss and i'm coming to you softly and gently sure like he does in the first and second verse and then he makes the same point in the inverse that Peter made in the passage that we read a second ago, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith, which was delivered once unto the saints. And he spends the whole book of Jude going over the different things that we ought to earnestly contend for. And I find it interesting that in most of the commentaries uh, I, that I've seen on this passage, uh, some of them aren't this way, but most of them, I think, are actually get it wrong. I think a lot of the commentaries that I've read through on this particular verse say that Jude started to write to them about the common salvation, and then he changed his mind. I don't think that's the case. I think Jude went and had a mind personally to write to them about the common common salvation, but he knew he couldn't write to them about the common salvation because they had not been earnestly contending for the faith. And so he had to back up and cover these things before he could write to them about what he really wanted to write to them about. So he didn't change his mind. He just had to lay a foundation first, which is exactly what we're talking about. He had to lay these foundational building blocks for that church because what he wanted to get to, what he needed to get to, and would eventually, I'm sure, get to covering and teaching them about, he couldn't yet because he had not laid the foundational building blocks yet, or at least they hadn't grasped those ideas yet because they obviously were not earnestly contending for the faith or he wouldn't have had to write to them about it. Sure. Um, and so in that passage in Second Peter, he's going from the positive end and saying, these are the things that you need to teach and lay out and you need to go through these bedrock things and then teach them. Uh, and Jude is coming from the other perspective and saying, I had a desire to teach you something deeper, but I couldn't. I have to back up and teach you this first. Uh, and and so it's really the same teaching, but from opposite angles. Peter's coming in from the front end and saying, I'm going to teach you these things. And Jude's coming in from the back end saying, I had a desire to teach you something, but I have to back up and I have to teach you this first. And when we're discipling people, we have to get to those bedrock issues and teach them those and so um, I do think, you know, it, it, it'd be a good idea just to kind of go through some of the basic things um, that we do want to make sure that we teach people some 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 bedrock issues. Um, and I think, you know, we we all have the same number one issue that we make sure that every single person gets taught about. <laughs> Everybody understands this is the bedrock issue, because if you don't have this issue, then nothing else works. And that is salvation. Uh, and we can, we can, everything else branches off of that one topic, right? Because unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, which you cannot have without salvation, uh, nothing else in the Christianity even matters. So you have to start there, right? Um, so 
obviously the first thing that you're going to teach in discipleship is salvation. Now this, whether you're discipling somebody who's already been saved or you're discipling somebody who just got saved or you're discipling somebody who's not saved, you start with this topic. We want them to make sure they understand the nature of this new relationship that they have with God. And in order to do that, we have to talk about what happened to them at salvation and what has changed because they need to understand these changes. They They may have sensed some of these changes, but they need to understand them and know what these changes are and why they are. And then we want to make sure they understand that they're secure in that relationship, that, that God's not going to kick them out of their out of his family, that he is giving them a secure relationship with him. And it's an eternal relationship. So we want to cover that eternal security that uh, God has promised to us once we put our faith in him. Right. And I think... Um, it, it, People tend to divide, put a divide between having assurance of salvation and eternal security. Um, but the passages that you would use to teach those two topics are actually the same passages. Because um, assurance of salvation and eternal security, I, I have them listed basically as two different things. But in essence, they're one and the same. Someone who's been saved for a long time and is struggling with their assurance of salvation is really struggling with their eternal security. And the issue is this. Do they receive eternal life when they die? Or do they receive eternal life at the moment of salvation? If they receive eternal life at the moment of salvation, then the assurance of their salvation and their eternal security are one and the same. If they receive eternal life at the point that they die, then the assurance of their salvation is something that they need here and now but they don't need later, which really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Those two things are one and the same. Uh, you you have assurance of your salvation because you have security in, in your eternity, right? I mean, they're, Correct. They're, they're one and the same. So when you're teaching salvation, you're teaching the gospel. When you're teaching eternal security, you're teaching that person, you are secure in Jesus Christ right now at this very moment because of the fact that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your soul salvation. And we, my wife and I were talking just very recently with someone who was struggling with this idea. And at the bedrock of it all, it comes down to this. Have you at some point in your life and are you currently placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and what he's done on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection um, and resurrection from the grave and he's ascensioned into heaven. He's living with with God the Father even right now. Have you placed your faith and trust in that for your for your uh, salvation from your for your forgiveness of your sin, remission of sin? Uh, ha- have you done that? If the answer to that is yes, then we can go and we can talk about assurance and and eternal security. But again, these are building block things. You can't do one without the other. So they have to have done that first, and they have to acknowledge that they've done that, or they aren't going to get the assurance and eternal security part. Sure. And so once we've established that, those truths in their life from the scriptures, we want to establish them where? In the local church. And how is that done? It's done through baptism. That's how they're added to Mm -hmm. the church. And so we want to teach them the importance of that so that they can observe that and and respond to that. Hopefully they've been baptized even before we get to this lesson. But uh, when we teach them, we want to teach them about baptism. And I think those three are really, there's not much room for negotiation on what it why those are important to be the first three Mm -hmm. once that baptism happens 
Now we want to teach them how are they going, how is the Holy Spirit going to speak to them? What is his role in their life? Because the key to the Christian walk is walking in the Spirit. And Mm -hmm. And if I believe, and he tells me, if I walk in the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the most critical tool past baptism is the Holy Spirit of God and, and that relationship between the new believer and the Holy Spirit of God. And so we want to equip this new believer with who the Holy Spirit is, how, what roles does he play according to the scriptures, and when, you know, what it, how do I interact with him? How do I walk with him? And we want to get that process started. Obviously, we're not going to be teaching it at a deep, deep level, but we need to teach it at a very elementary level and get that understanding going so that they can be reliant on the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, we want them completely reliant on the Holy Spirit of God and the Son of God. And that's Mm -hmm. where their reliance needs to be. So we need to get intentionally going towards that right out of the gate. And what an aid to you as a teacher and discipler. Oh, amen. Because you're, you're bringing them the scripture, right? And you're trying to walk them through the things that they need to know. Uh, but if they don't have an understanding of how to communicate with God the Father and how to listen to the Holy Spirit, then they're going to have a whole lot of a harder time understanding and applying the truth that you give them. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to use the Scripture to speak to their heart, regardless if they understand how it's happening. You know, He's He's going to speak to them because He indwells them. Um, but if they can have an understanding of uh, how do I listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, then you've just aided yourself. You know, you've helped yourself as a teacher uh, to be able to contact that person's heart because now I can open the word of God and they know when I open the word of God that the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to them and they know to stop and listen to that and how to stop and listen to that. Um, So you're, you're only helping yourself by taking the time to teach them that. Sure. And so then as we continue uh, teaching them, we want to teach them what the word of God, what is the role of the word of God in your life? Uh, If, if we can help them get established in, in their understanding and their communication with the Holy Spirit, we know that he's going to communicate through his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. And so we want to cover the word of God next and make sure they understand what what roles does the word of God play in your life? How does, how does that affect and, and what... What benefit does the Word of God give me uh, to for life and for practice and for what I believe? And so we go into that at that point. And then we want to not only give them how God's going to talk to them through His Spirit and through His Word, but also how do you talk to God? Uh, because we need to make sure that line of communication is understood and open and want to make sure they're communicating their heart and, and they're, they're fulfilling their responsibility in this command that were to come boldly before his throne. And so we want to make mm-hmm. sure they understand prayer. And so we want to make sure we take time to share that with them as well. And if I were to ask you, Pastor Stewart, to just kind of list, okay, these are the topics that if you remove any one of these topics, the whole thing comes falling down. You know, obviously salvation is one of those. But what would you say are these, these are cornerstone, building block, bedrock bits of information that every believer needs to be taught or nothing else that we stack on top of it is going to be solid. What would you say those topics are? I would say those topics are the ones we've just outlined. And I think 
you know, obviously salvation, eternal, you can't you can't have eternal security and, and understand that until you've been saved. Uh, right. You're not going to get baptized until you've been saved. Uh, you're not going to uh, be able to, the, the Holy Spirit, the only communication he's going to have with you is conviction of sin for salvation. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to play any of the other roles that he's been given as far as comforter and uh, teacher of the word of God and all of those things leading us into right. all truth. Other than, you know, so salvation is a building block. But I think, you know, I'm not going to teach them about the Word of God until I've given them an understanding of the Holy Spirit because he's the author of it. And so I want to introduce them to the author before I introduce them to the content. Um, I want, once they have God's communication with them, then I think it's crucial to allow them to understand how to communicate with God. And then mm-hmm. once they have this line of communication and that relationship is solidified in their understanding of who their Heavenly Father is, how He's going to communicate with them, how they can communicate to Him, then I think we need to understand what's God's will for my life. What's God's right. big plan for my life and, and what's His will for uh, all that's going on around me. And then I think you can't really take that out of order because then you need to talk about what's the role of the local church because God has ordained the local church to be the, the the place where I have protection until I grow up. And so what right. what role does the local church play in my life? Then I'm going to need to understand after I understand the role of the local church, how do I relate to other Christians? How are they supposed to relate to me? I'm starting to get involved in the church. I need to understand this relationship between me and other believers. And then we need to get into stewardship because now we're getting into what? How do I steward my life? Stewardship is not mm-hmm. just how I handle money. That's part of it, but that's a minor part of it. How do I handle my life? And so if I take, and again, we're talking about taking this young believer that's maybe four or five months into their salvation, into their walk with the Lord, and you're already talking about them stewarding their life. These are some things that many believers haven't ever ever considered hardly, and maybe just mm-hmm. considered it over a message once or twice or a month-long series on it in a church but they've never right. been showed, hey, you need to steward your life, your time, your treasure, everything towards what God desires for you. And it's based on what? His will. It's not based on our will. It's, right. it's We're not to be self-willed. But that stewardship of life is something that you simply cannot teach them until they have a basic understanding of how to communicate with God, how sure. to read and understand their Bible. Because how are they supposed to steward their time if they don't even know how to read the Bible, you know how, sure. how are they supposed to steward their money? If they don't ever have an understand of what understanding of what God values, sure. Um, so, you know, like like we said, there's a there's a building block necessity thing here, and obviously it all hinge pins on their being saved, sure. Um, but there are some things that have to be taught, and they have to be taught in a very specific order. And if we're not careful about what that order is, you know, I, I do think that we as a church, you know, people get saved, and Historically speaking, at least from my understanding of the places that I've been, the first few things that are taught, I think, have actually been pretty good where I've been. They've been salvation. They've been assurance. They've been baptism. Uh, uh, but then we have a tendency to head straight into church attendance, tithe, missions giving. Yeah. Well, you know, you're going to have some people who are perfectly willing to get saved, give their life to Jesus. 
You're going to have people who are perfectly willing to get baptized, people who are perfectly willing and, and understand the idea that, uh, that they have assurance and salvation. And you may even have some people who are very willing to understand the idea that they need to be regular in church attendance because they've given themselves to this now. But when you start hitting the wallet, you're going to have a harder time if they don't first have an understanding sure. of their relationship with God the Father and they're not giving their money to a church or an organization, they're giving their money to him. And if you haven't taken the time to teach them that, then the stewardship of life and the stewardship of money is going to be a hard thing to teach sure. because you haven't taken the time to develop the idea within that own person, that, that person's heart, that they have a relationship with God the Father. And this is something that he wants them to do, not something that I'm trying to get them to do. Sure. And stewardship, again, you're not going to want to teach that until you've taught the local church because that's where the stewardship takes place. That's where right. the, that's the the organization or the uh, organism that God has put in place for me to steward around and in and through the local church. And so if I don't have an understanding of the local church, I'm not going to know where. I mean, I may go anywhere and, and give to God, but that's not what he's taught us. He's taught us to do it in and through the local church. And so you've got to have these things in a, in a, in a decent and orderly fashion. And there's a reason and there's a purpose behind uh, why we teach what we teach and when we teach it. Uh, there's, you know, after you teach stewardship, now you can teach them what their attitude towards money and possessions ought to be. That mm-hmm. God has entrusted them with these things to steward them for his honor and his glory, just like our life ought to be stewarded for his honor and glory. Yeah, and the scripture teaches more about money and has more passages about money than just about anything else. But every time the Bible teaches anything about money, it always teaches it in relation to where the heart is. Sure. So what's it really teaching? Is it really teaching about money or is it teaching about how money is a tell about where your heart is? Sure. Um you know, in, in, in any major bluffing game, people talk about having a tell. You know, some you can tell when somebody's lying or not because they do something specific. Well, God can tell where your heart is by where your money is. And that's very clearly taught in Scripture. Sure. And so when when God spends so much time and when the Holy Spirit, through the varying authors throughout all of Scripture, spends so much time talking about finances... When he's doing that, he's not actually talking about finances. He's and yeah, there's definitely financial applications to what he's talking about, but that's not the root of what he's talking about. The root of what he's talking about is the heart. And if we haven't, as disciples, spent the time to get to the heart of the matter and taught them, you have a relationship with God the Father, and He is to possess your heart, then we're wasting our time talking about possessing their money. Sure. And when we talk about money and possessions, we probably have identified some areas that their heart is not in tune with him. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's just been lost four, five, six months ago, and now they're Mm -hmm. saved. And so we want to teach them how to deal with sin. That's a, a critical point for them to go forward in their walk with the Lord now is how do I have this battle between the new man and the old man? What are the, the tools that God has given me? What are the uh, tools that my that God's enemy is going to use to try and snare me and to try, you know, the wiles of the devil? And how is he going to try and trap me in my sin? And I need to be able to deal with sin according to how God has given us to do so, so that we can live in the victory that he's provided for us. And when we're living in the victory and after we learn how to deal with sin, then we teach them about their liberty in Christ because our liberty in Christ is not to be used for an occasion for the flesh, but it's Mm -hmm. to be used for what? 
how do we steward our life? And so after I've learned about stewardship, after I've learned about money and possessions, after I've learned how to deal with sin, now I, I help this person to understand and show them from Scripture that you have liberty in Christ and you are free to do all of these things in a way that brings honor and glory to your Father. And then we talk about the importance of their job and their employment and how that God has given you that as a ministry, not only to the individuals in that job, but the funds that come from that job are to be used for the ministry that God gives you in other areas as well. And as he equips you, he's gonna supply your need through that job and that employee, employer. Uh, and then we're gonna talk about the importance of the lost world. But we can't do about talk about us reaching the lost world until what? Until we have the realization of the liberty and the victory over sin and these other things. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be totally victorious, but at least they're working towards and beginning to understand how to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and experience that victory more than the, than the defeat that comes from giving in to sin. And then we remind them at the end of all of this in the first level we remind them, hey, the judgment seat of Christ is coming. The Bema seat is there. And that mm -hmm. is our motivation for using our liberty for him and dealing with sin in our life and for stewarding our life the way he's told us to do it and for reaching out to the lost is because there are rewards to be gained for doing it his way with his honor and his glory as the goal. And there are losses to be suffered if we don't do it according to his will and according to his way. And so... Right. Each one of these is laid out. There's an intentionality to it. There's a per, you know, it's an individual thing. Uh, in Colossians 1.28, he says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. He uses that term every man three times here. Speaking to not that I am, and, and, not, and not just me as a pastor, but none of us are to minister just to the congregation. We are to minister to every man, every individual. We are to start with the gospel, preaching the gospel to them, warning them of, of the lake of fire and the eternal results of their separation between them and God. But then we're to teach every man in all wisdom, in all of the scripture. And we're to do that among what? among everybody so that what so that they can be perfected or matured in Christ Jesus that's the whole purpose behind discipleship and as I am an example as the pastor it starts with the pastor of the church but then he is the example to every believer and every believer has the same responsibility to mature to the same spot that the pastor is to mature to and that spot is what? To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so as we all mature, it needs to be intentional. It needs to be, there needs to be thought behind it. It needs to be, there needs to be, as an educator might look at it, as a scope and sequence of why we're teaching what we're teaching now. And then what uh -huh. do we need to do to build on that with building blocks? And God's outlined a lot of that for us. And we don't need to necessarily reinvent the wheel. But we do need to make sure the wheel we're using is not a rectangle or not a square or not a triangle right. because that causes a lot of bumps and a lot of jarring and a lot of problems down the road. Let's make sure that the yeah. wheel that we're using is really the wheel that's designed to accomplish the task that we've been given to do. Yeah. And, you know, we you got, you're going to start with a small wheel. You know, uh, you're not going to use the same wheel for a wheelbarrow that you're going to use for a car. Um, but that wheelbarrow wheel is where somebody's got to start. You know, if they're going to start moving 
and they're going to start, you know, carrying some weight with them in Scripture and they're studying, they're going to start with that small wheel and they're going to start pushing that small amount whatever that that little wheelbarrow can carry right and as christians you know we we got to we got to start them here's here's your wheel this is a solid this is a good wheel but it's small and this is where you need to start you're going to start with salvation you're going to start with personal uh, eternal security and assurance of salvation you're going to start by obeying christ in baptism you know that that's the smallest and seemingly easiest point of obedience it's a simple physical thing that they can do. And yet in many cultures, that is the deciding thing that gets them thrown out of their family or whatever. So sometimes that's a big deal. Uh, but it's a simple obedience. It's not like they have to go climb Mount Everest or, uh, you know, go starve themselves for days and days like many religions do. It's a very simple action that they can take in obedience to Christ. So it's a small thing. It's a little wheel. And the more things that you teach them, the more and more responsibility you're going to give them. And they're going to no longer have that little wheel, you know, then they're going to become a a trailer bed that they can pull that has a little bit larger wheels and then a car and then a truck. And then, you know, if we use that illustration, that wheel's getting bigger and stronger. Um, but the point is they don't, they can't be a, they can't lift a huge amount of weight if they haven't been taught these bedrock things, these small things, these things that are essential for them to understand. And I think, you know, I think we've taken ample time to kind of explain what those things are. Salvation, assurance, security, um, baptism, their relationship with their Heavenly Father, being able to understand their relationship with the Holy Spirit, how to read and understand their Bible, how to pray, and the importance of the local church in their life. And I think if they have those bedrock things, we can move from there and begin talking to them about what is your personal responsibility in these specific areas of stewardship. And if we haven't covered those things, then nothing else that we try to teach them is going to take deep root. Sure. So I think that's, uh, I think that's all we've got today. And we've, I think we've done a good job of making sure that we cover what those necessities are, the essential scriptural ideas that have to be taught in order for anything else to be understood. And if you have any questions about this, I know, um, you know, you may have different opinions about the order in which things be, need to be taught or, or anything like that. But if you have any questions or if you'd like to reach out to us, please do. Um, and you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's generalorderfour at gmail.com or on Twitter at generalorder and the number four. Uh, and you can reach out to us in those ways. And please do. We would love to hear from you. We would love to have a discussion with you about this. If you have any questions about those bedrock ideas that you need to make sure that you teach people. And I would encourage you this way. If you're already teaching uh, in discipling or teaching in a Sunday school class and you feel like people aren't quite grasping what it is that you're trying to teach, uh, perhaps you, you need to take a look at that person and see what it is that they're not understanding and then back up and go back to these bedrock ideas Um, because it may be that they've missed something in these bedrock ideas and if you can back up a little bit and say okay let's make sure we hammer home and and identify that you understand this bedrock principle and then we can move forward and, and talk about whatever it is that you're at if you're having somebody who really struggles. And, um, and, and we may be able to help you with that. If you have any questions, please, please reach out to us. If we can help you, we will. But uh, thank you again so much for, for tuning in, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thanks so much. All right. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On the next episode, we're going to continue our discussion about discipleship. 
If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter, at generalorder, the number four. Please like, share, and subscribe.